All right. Really good. Really good. It's important. Important to pray for our kids and um, important to be connected with one another. So I always love Sunday mornings, but you know, Sunday mornings, it really isn't enough. I mentioned it last week. If I was in a relationship, I am in a relationship. She's home this morning. But if I only talked to my wife and spent time with her for an hour and a half a week, that would not be good. She's watching right now. <laughs> Everybody turn and wave to Heather this morning. Okay. <laughs> I'm in trouble now. Oh, anyways. Um, and so the Lord has been stirring um, for the last two or three years, actually. And then, then this big C thing happened that shut the whole world down. But I'm over it. And um, personally, and I'm ready to continue doing what God wants us to do and follow him. And so part of that is being connected with him vertically, of course, but also being connected with one another. And so we are stirring this idea of connect groups again, being connected with one another. Um, and so we're looking for host homes. We're looking for people who are willing to help facilitate that. Uh, what, what does that mean? Talk to me. If you're interested, if that stirs in you this morning, like, oh, I think um, I might want to do that. I've never done that before. We like that even more, actually. And so we've, right now, we have one home. We're all going to gather at her, at her, <laughs> at her house. Um, don't have all the answers to it, but I just trust that God is leading us. And it's really important that we are connected with one another to spur one another on to do what is right and what is good. And we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. So open up your Bibles. We're going to be in our Bibles this morning. By the way, I need to say a special hello um, to, uh, to some friends that are in the house this morning. Um, so Brian and Candy Lawrenson are in the house. So everybody say hi to Brian. Anybody? I was taught, yeah, say, people are like, wow, he dressed up. So it was nice. He forgot that we don't wear ties here, but cut it off. Brian, it's so funny. Brian texted me Friday, I think it was Friday night. And Brian's one of those guys for me personally that I, I love him with all my heart. And um, we don't talk very often, but when we do, it just picks right back up to where we left off. <laughs> like nothing's ever been missed. And so... We were doing all our one-liners together, back and forth. It, it was great. It was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was really good. So we're in uh, 1 Peter this morning. And I want us to read um, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. We talked a little bit about it last week, but I want us to read it again. We're going to be verse 7. Everybody there? Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. That's a great question. You had five choices. Come on. One, two, three, four, five. We're in chapter five. We're almost done. You can kind of see we're getting close to the end. But if you look across the page, Second Peter's waiting for us. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all of your burdens on him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries on him because he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon him 
because he cares for you. First Peter 5, 7, I heard somebody just whisper. The reason why this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, because it really does reveal God's heart to us. Again, I think sometimes we get our minds a little twisted in who our God is. And we sing about him this morning. He is beautiful. He is wonderful. He is glorious. He is good. And I know sometimes this, this side of heaven is sometimes really difficult to see the goodness of God. I understand that. I get that. When you experience loss, it is hard to see through that loss that God is good. I get that. But this verse reveals, really reveals, who our God is and who is about his heart, that he invites us in the midst of the crazy to come and cast all our stuff on him because he is there for us. Being with him is an incredible place to be. Peter tells us to come before our God with humility. He says, humble yourselves before him. And that just means that we come before him and say, God, I don't even know, I don't even know what to do here. I have no one else to go to. And maybe you've tried to go to somewhere else, and it doesn't work. And so you humble yourself and say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm going to ask for help. And you know what? God says, Cast all your stuff on me, and I'll, I'm going to take care of you. It makes me think being in his presence, I feel safe, I feel secure, I feel his peace, I feel comfort, I feel warmth, and I can even be relaxed. Anybody know what that word means? What does it mean, like, relax? What does relax mean anymore? No one, no one relaxes. It makes me think of, the word I think of when I think of being in God's presence and just those, that sweet, sweet moment, for me personally, it's like in worship. It's when I'm spending time with him and I put everything else aside, even like my back doesn't hurt when I worship the Lord. My knees don't hurt when I worship God. Isn't that weird sometimes? And then as soon as you're done, you get up, walk away like, ooh. Yeah. yeah, cast that on him because he cares for me, right? But I think of the word cozy when I spend time with God. That It's a safe, comfortable, peaceful place to be. And the first place I think of when I think of cozy is, well, first of all, my house, the house that I live in. Um, a few of you have been there. Actually, only, only the Lindstrom's. I think in this room, I think only the Lindstrom's have been to my house. Um, it's a little dark inside, yes. But it's cozy when you sit down in our place. It's really awesome. And the second place I think of cozy, and I didn't ask her permission to share this, but, you know, the whole ask for forgiveness rather than for permission. So um, at, at Gretchen's house, my dad and Gretchen's place, they used to have these two huge, massive cedars like the big ones out here, but they were kind of bowed. It was really weird how they came up out of the ground. It kind of split and grew into these two massive trees. And in the middle of it, there was this little spot that they built a bench inside. So it was like almost hidden underneath these trees, and there's this cute little bench inside. And you can go in there and sit down, 
and hang out there. And it was just, you're surrounded by this huge cedar tree. And you're like, wow, this is, this is cozy. And in fact, my niece, I think it was my niece, she would call it the cozy place. This is the cozy place. And so we made a sign and we stuck it in there. And it's still there. The trees are down. They fell over in the wind. There's stumps now. The bench is gone. But the sign remains. The cozy place. Maybe for some of us this morning, once was a cozy place, an amazing place. Now it just looks like stumps. The bench is gone. But I want to say that God doesn't change. It's still a cozy place. It's still a cozy place. To be with him, to be in his presence is a cozy place. And it's in this moment right here that when Peter's writing to his, his listeners and he's saying, cast all your anxiety, cares, worries, struggles on him because he cares for you. And you kind of take a deep breath. Don't you just take a deep breath? Everybody take a deep breath. And then Peter goes, be alert. <laughs> You're like, what? What are you doing? I'm relaxed now. And then Peter goes right after him. Hey, be alert and be a sober mind. And why, Peter? Why would you do that, Peter? Why would you take me out of my relaxation place with Jesus? Because he's Peter. <laughs> Peter was that guy that would just, he would have those amazing moments with Jesus. And then right after that, boom, be alert. But because Peter has gone through what he's gone through and because he loves the church, he wants us to know and be ready for what's out there. Because it's in those cozy, comfortable places at times is when the enemy comes. When we get relaxed, when we kind of let down our guard, and then we start wandering away from the cozy place, and we still have let our guard down, it's when the enemy is there to grab onto us. And that's what Peter says, be alert and be a sober mind. Peter reminds us that it's not a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. You don't have to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. Paul says, for our struggle. Anybody have struggles here? Okay, be honest, raise your hand if that's you. Wave at me at home. I can't see you. Just, I got you to wave, though. Um, so struggles, yes? Be real? Yes. For our struggles is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is a spiritual battle Peter is talking about. He tells us in our cozy place to be alert because we are in a battle. But he doesn't tell us to shrink back, doesn't tell us to be afraid. In fact, in the midst of that battle, he says that we can come and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Let me ask you a Bible question, church. And that's not a trivia question because some of you don't like trivia. I love trivia. I'm not very good at it, but I like it. If you could have one passage in the Bible, think about this for a second. And if you're at home, you could text me. I don't have my phone, but I'd love to find out what it is. 206-941-0959 is my number. I'll read it after church. If you could have one passage, if you didn't have a Bible, 
but you could only have one passage in the Bible, what would it be? You know, not everybody in our world has a Bible. We have them all over the place. I have multiple Bibles. Some people just have literally chunks of Bibles, passages of God's Word. What would it be? Okay, tell me. So Proverbs 3. Yeah, 3, 5, and 6. You'd want that whole chunk. Nice. Anybody else? Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Okay. Yes. Okay. You know what it says? Say it. Does she have to say it, church? Okay. They said it, not me. awesome yeah hey so when we battle anxiety what does that verse say we don't have to be anxious about anything but when we feel that struggle of anxiety or whatever it might be paul is telling us to pray because when we pray what does it take us it takes us to our cozy place with him psalm 23 was mentioned I think that would be mine, just the whole Psalm 23, because it encapsulates everything about who our God is, that he is our good shepherd, <laughs> and that with him, I don't need anything else. And later on in that verse, it says that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And you're like, what does that even mean? That it just means that we're always in a battle. We're always in a battle. And in the midst of those battle times, God prepares this table. He gives me a sanctuary place for me to come and be with him. And it's almost like he calls a timeout. And so we just get to sit and be with him while our enemy just kind of stands like, like I don't know what to do now. I, what am I supposed to do here? Because we're spending time with him in the midst of it. And that's what Peter tells us. Be alert because... There's a battle going on. I want us to continue in, in Peter, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter is telling us to be alert, to be watchful, to be awake, to be vigilant. He tells us to be of sober mind. That word sober there means to be calm, to be circumspect to be paying attention to what's going on around you. Can I ask you an easy question here? Who is our enemy? Okay, the devil. He says that the devil, let me read that verse again. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
The word prowl there means that he walks around, he trails behind, he follows. He doesn't lead, he doesn't direct, but he's there, almost kind of lurking in the darkness. Kind of got that picture? Peter says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Anybody watch those nature shows? Seen them? I've actually been in Africa, been on the, the plains. We didn't get to see, this is going to be a little gruesome for some reason. Didn't get to see a kill, but we saw right after one, lions looked really happy. The uh, wildebeest did not look happy at all. It's a, it's a great picture that Peter presents here, and I just want to remind us that we do have an enemy. But there's something I saw in this passage as I was just reading through it this week and just praying and just reading through and praying and reading through and praying. Be alert and sober of mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like, like a roaring lion. I'm feeling generous today, so I have three fresh $100 bills, three of them. Okay, anybody? Someone asked me, are they real? Well, you got to tell me if they're real or not. Karen, you wanted one? Anybody else? See, the smart ones are raising their hand. Like, he's giving away free money. There you go, my Lord. Hey, so can you, um, is that real? It's not real? You mean I wasted 10 cents by making a f color copy? Sorry, Carrie. And I only did one side. <laughs> I only did one side because if I did two sides, it is a felony, by the way. But it's a picture of Mona Lisa on a $100 bill. And <laughs> um, it's pretty obvious it's not real. It's ex in fact, it's extremely obvious. And I remember Gretchen, I'm going to talk about her again today, so now I owe you $2. Gretchen used to work at a bank, and she, they wouldn't study counterfeit money because there's all kinds of counterfeit money, tons. Everybody's making it. What they would study is real money. They would feel it. They would handle it. They would look at it. You know, real money's not made out of paper. Did you guys know that? Anyways. So that when they did hold counterfeit, when they were like whipping through bills, and they, and they would come across a counterfeit, they're like, oh, this isn't real. Even though some of them are extremely close and look extremely real. That's what Peter's talking about in this passage. Our enemy roars around like a roaring lion. There's only one lion of Judah, and that's Jesus. There's only one. But the enemy is an amazing counterfeiter. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. So here's the deal. We have it all wrong about the devil. I don't even like to talk about him, honestly, in church. In fact, where I have him written down in my notes, everything's 11 font. When I wrote down the devil, I put him in like five font. He's so small, I can't even read it. 
And I don't capitalize it because I'm not going to give him glory at all. But here's the deal. We have it all wrong about him. Because we picture him as in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. That's exactly what he wants us to think of him. But that is not who he is. He was created the number one most beautiful angel that God had made. And yet he let pride seep in. And he wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be adored. He wanted all the glory. And God says, I don't share that with anyone. And so out of heaven he left. And he had so much influence. So much power that a third of the angels. Now listen to this. A third of them. How many angels are there? We don't know. What we do know is a third of them were convinced that is crazy to me because they were in the presence of the Almighty God. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. A couple of books to your right. Hang on to 1 Peter, but turn over there. To Revelation chapter 5. I used to mark my pages, because, but then I thought, hey, that's not fair. I mark my pages, and then I can just whip right to it. So now I'm whipping to it with you. Like I said, there's only one lion. There's only... One who deserves glory. Revelation chapter 5. I'm just going to read you the first five verses. This is John, Jesus' disciple, self-described as the one that Jesus loved. When he is, he has been given this vision from Jesus himself. Revelation 5 verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of, of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. When I saw the mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven and on earth and under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside it. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. We'll stop there. I love that passage. Because all of a sudden, Jesus turns from a lion and he goes right into a lamb. And then he saw a lamb looking at it as if he had been slain. There's only one lion. The enemy would come and he counterfeits himself. Paul says he masquerades as an angel of light. So in our cozy places, we still need to be alert. The enemy is looking, he's prowling, he's looking for the stragglers. The ones that are kind of wandering back. That's why it's so important, church, so important that we stay connected. Yes, connected to him. Always. That's always number one. I tell everybody pretty much that walks in my office, it's really important that you are, have a personal pursuit of Jesus. You, personally. So that no matter what happens around you, the world could fall, but you and Jesus will be tight. But it's also important, I believe, to have this. Personal connection with one another, because in the midst of those Amazing, great times so we can celebrate together, but also in the midst of the hard times so we can still celebrate and be together, even in the midst of that. 
There is only one Jesus. Jesus said, yes, the enemy does come. The enemy is real. And what he does is he wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. John 10, 10. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But what did Jesus say? I have come to bring them life. I have come to bring life to you. If you have those thoughts, I just want to encourage you that Jesus has come to bring you life. Life. The enemy wants to bring death and destruction and destroy you personally. But Jesus has come to give you life. So now that we know we have an enemy, now what do we do? Peter says to resist him. And how do I do that? Peter says to stand firm in the faith, to know who our God is and to know who we are in him. Really, really, really important. To know who our God is and to know who we are in him. Peter reminds us that we're not alone in this battle. In fact, I want to read it to you back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Resist him, verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. What the masquerader of light does to us is he likes to isolate us and make us think that we're the only ones going through what we're going through. That's one of the biggest lies. Because if we sat here this morning and we say, hey, we're going to open it up. Hey, tell me your struggles today. Don't do that. We're not going to do that. But you'd be shocked to hear the similarities. Came back from a mission trip. We actually have those times on our mission teams. Um, They're powerful times. And people start to begin to share their struggles and where they're at with Jesus. And you realize, like, wow, I struggle with those same things. And so what happens is now we band together. And we fight that battle together and not just by ourselves. So resist him. How do we resist him? Okay, so you guys know that I, like, I used to watch a lot of movies. Not a lot, but certain movies. And it just happened, it's just funny that you happen to be here, Brian, today on the day that this came to mind. This, I had this down in my notes before I even knew he was coming to church. But I sometimes like dumb movies. Okay? Sometimes. In the 90s, there's a movie that came out. It's called Dumb and Dumber. Um... <laughs> Don't watch it. Watch the TV. I will say this. Watch the TV version. Yes. Don't watch the version that you can just rent on Redbox. Okay? Is it dumb? It is really, it's not dumb. It's stupid. And I usually don't say that word out loud. But there are some phenomenal one-liners in that movie. Anybody wearing boots today at church? Seriously, anybody wearing boots? Really? Nobody's wearing boots today? Bob, missed you by one week. Okay. Well, I'm not going to say the line then because, uh, anyways, killer boots, man. I, I love that. I, I say that. If someone's wearing boots, I will usually say that. And usually just like, shoo, goes right over their head. I think it's funny. I say it for myself. Um, anyways, he's getting pulled over by a police officer, and the police officer wearing those really tall boots, and he goes, killer boots, man. Anyways. 
2004. I didn't realize it was 2004. Another really dumb movie came out. It's called Napoleon Dynamite. You can watch that one. It's just dumb. I remember as a youth pastor, it, it kind of was, uh, it kind of started in the youth group and people started watching it. I hadn't seen it yet. And they start quoting it. They're like, PK, this is the best movie I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, here's my problem is I believed a 14-year-old. <clears throat> so I rent it. I watch it. I don't get it. It was horrible. So then I bring it, and we watch it at youth group. Now, there's a difference. When you're sitting by yourself watching a movie that's dumb, it's just dumb. But when you sit and watch a movie with a group of people you love and it's fun, it's fun all of a sudden, it becomes fun. And so there's a, there's a scene in this movie Napoleon Dynamite, there's a character named Rex Kwando. He teaches karate, or taekwondo, whatever you want to call it. And Napoleon's brother's name is Kip. And he uses Kip as an example. And he's trying to show him a move. This is how you do a move. This is how you resist. And Kip is this computer geek guy. Not that all computer geek guys are soft and weak. Because I work on a computer every day, so I'm talking about myself here. And the line in the movie is, Brian, do you know it? Break the wrist, <laughs> Break the wrist and walk away. <laughs> and so, because here's the deal. So it's break the wrist and walk away. And so it's, so if, if, if someone's reaching for you and someone's going to assault you, you like break the wrist and then you walk away. Okay? So he does this to this guy and it's, it's kind of, anyways, have you seen the movie over there? Okay. It's, it's really not that funny, but I'm glad I'm doing it justice here this morning. But that's the scene I thought of when I read to this week, resist, resist him. I thought of break your wrist and walk away. Because the enemy does reach out to grab us, to lure us, to pull us away. And what happens, here's what happens. A lot of times we, maybe it's just me, so I'm just talking to me, not you. But a lot of times we give the flirtatious slap, like, oh, stop. Right? We're being tempted, we're being drawn to do something that we're not supposed to do that will lead us to destruction. And instead of breaking the wrist and walking away, what do we do? We just kind of like, oh, stop. Does he stop? No. He won't stop. And so we need to be firm, and we need to break the wrist, and then we need to walk away and step back. And remember who our God is, that we don't have to fight this battle alone. We don't have to fight this battle alone. In fact, Peter says that you're not the only one going through these struggles. There's believers all around the world going through the same thing that you're going through. And so that should give you the strength just to know that you can resist him because they're resisting him as well. 
and run to your God, who's your cozy place. Peter says to stand firm in faith, to submit ourselves to him is what James says. James 4, 7 says this, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will do what? He will flee. He will walk away because we have submitted ourselves to God. There's a huge, like the songs that we sang this morning, great job, Brandon, putting the list together, and just the fact that, God, when I sing I Surrender All, I love that song. That song is really hard to sing if you honestly sing it. God, I surrender all. All to you, my precious Savior, I surrender all. And it's in that submission to him that then we have the power to resist the devil. So how do we resist? Peter says to stand firm, to know you're not alone. And I want us to turn one more, we're going to turn to one more place in the Bible, to Ephesians chapter 6. Some of you knew we are going there. Ephesians chapter 6. Probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible that talks about spiritual warfare and how what, what we're supposed to do, our responsibility. Ephesians 6 verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, so here's how we're supposed to resist. We have to suit up and show up, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've been able and after you've done that, everything to stand, to stand. So here's the thing. We do not have to fight this battle alone. He has equipped us with what we're supposed to wear and what we're supposed to put on. Verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Any of you feel attacked this morning? Any of you feel like there's arrows flying your way? Then what does Paul tell us to do here? Hold up your shield of faith. And it can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Even Paul tells us, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. So we resist by standing firm in our faith. We resist by knowing that we're not alone and we can do this together. But then we can also put on the full armor of God and fight these battles knowing that he has got us. Remember David, when David was uh, confronted with the giant, he was just going to take his brother's lunch. His brothers were the warriors. He was just the shepherd boy who was bringing lunch. And yet this giant stood amongst the armies and he was mocking David's God. 
making fun of who David believed in. And there's something that rose up inside him. And the reward was, hey, if anybody, if anybody wants to take this guy on, you'll be taken care of for the rest of your life. And David, But David didn't go to the king and say, hey, I want to be taken care of for the rest of my life. David went to the king because David said, this isn't right that this guy would talk about my God this way. And so I'm willing to go out and fight this guy. Right? And so what did Saul do? Okay, great. So Saul tried to put on Saul's armor on David and cram all this stuff on him, and he couldn't even move around and walk around. How am I supposed to fight in this? And so David says, I don't need any of that. All I need is my slingshot, and God will take care of the rest. And you know the story. I mean, that they battle. It's not a long battle because David picks up a slingshot, picks up some smooth stones, puts them in his pocket, and when he's confronted, hits the guy right between the eyes, the guy's done. Just like that. Now, did David fight that giant with his own power? No. But did David do the swinging? Yeah. David stood firm in his faith in who his God was, and he knew who he was in him. And that whatever came his way, that he would win. Because God always wins. It might not always look that way. Marcy shared the story. Pastor Marcy. Oh, I see her in the room. Pastor Marcy. Reverend Marcy Jones. (laughs) That's how we get our mail. When our mail comes here from Foursquare, it's Reverend. Don't ever call me that. Please. Someone texted me not long ago the, the abbreviations of that and my, my name. It actually rhymes. I'm like, okay, please stop. Now you guys are trying to figure it out, right? They texted me, hey, Rev Kev, how are you doing? <laughs> Brian Lawrence and don't ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> So Marcy reminded us this morning that there will be times when it looks like the battle, that we're losing the battle. When Moses' arms went down, they were losing the battle. But yet when Moses' arms were up, and so Moses got tired. He was a human being. He got tired. So he, it required somebody to stand on each side of him and literally hang on to his arm. And when they did that out of obedience, what happened? They won. And that's why it's important for us to be connected because there are going to be times in your life where you do not have the strength to hold up your hands. I've experienced that in the last year or so. I did not have the strength to hold up my hands. And I had people come alongside me and lift my hands up for me and I was able to see victory in the midst of it. And so there's some of us this morning that you... (laughs) It's hard for you to hold your hands even in worship because my hands are tired. I am not in that cozy place with him. But Jesus calls us to stand firm in our faith and to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And so I encourage you this morning that as we are reading through, as we are wrapping up First Peter, 
in that cozy place, Peter brings that warning only like, only like Peter can do and tells us, hey, in the midst of that cozy place, in the midst of that place where you are casting all your cares on him, be alert. There is a battle going on. You're not all by yourself. You're not alone. And when we do resist, he says that the God of all grace, I love that, the God of all grace will restore us. He'll make us strong. He'll make us solid. He'll make us steadfast. Verse 10, Peter says, for a little while. He said, the God of all grace is here for us, but there's going to be a little while that you may have to suffer. You notice there's no timeline on that. I want to know the timeline. What is a little while? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? But the God of all grace, He's there with us. He will restore us in His time. He will make us strong in His time. He will make us solid in His time. He will help us to stand firm in His time because He offers grace to us in the midst of the battles, in the midst of the struggles, in the midst of all that we're going through. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, and I just thought maybe there's some of us who your arms are tired and you don't have the strength to do it on your own. I just want to remind you of the words of Peter where he says to cast all your cares, all your burdens, all your worries, all your anxieties on him, on the God who loves you, who cares for you. That he is a God who will restore In the midst of the battle, in the midst of what's going on, he is a God who is strong, and he is making you strong. He is a God who is solid, and he's making you solid. And he's a God who does not waver, and he's making you that same way. Lord, this morning I pray for those who, whose arms are tired. And Jesus, I ask that you would be their strength this morning. That in their little a while time, God, that you'd be so present that you had set a table before them in the presence of their enemies. That you would surround them with your favor as a shield. Lord, I want each one of us, God, would be able to hold up the arms of those around us in faith. And together we will win because you win, Jesus. Together we will win because you win.
God, we praise you for your goodness. God, we praise you for your faithfulness. That you do care. I thank you that you don't follow behind from a distance, but you are right here with us. God, may we see the counterfeits when they come our way. May we know the real Jesus. And I pray that this week that we'd be able to find each one of us individually would be able to find that cozy place with you. Yes, that we would be alert. Yes, our minds would be focused. But God, at the same time, we'd be able to relax and experience your peace. Experience your joy by simply spending time with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us do that this week. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for laying down your life for us. We again lift up the names on these cards of these precious little ones. Some of them not so little, but they're precious the same. God, that you burden our hearts for this generation, that we would lead them, that we would set the example for them, that we would walk beside them, that we would serve them. In Jesus' name. And the church said? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. We're wrapping up First Peter next week, and then uh, we'll see what happens after that.